0: Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 31 to 39. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback Bible in the pew back in front of you. And we are journeying through the book of Romans. Romans is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And you're looking for the big number eights and then the small number thirty. 1 Last week if you were here you might remember that we talked about the reality that when we follow Jesus it's actually a path of suffering that ends in glory. Many of us just want to get to glory and we forget that there is actually this path of suffering. And now today, Paul is going to kind of help us to see how do we continue to push in that or really journey down that path of suffering when it feels like everybody or everything is against you. Ever have anyone against you, oppose you for any sort of reason? I remember a few years ago... uh, being with some family members, uh, and I remember uh, talking with one family member in particular. We started debating a Bible passage and the meaning of the passage. Probably out of my own arrogance, uh, maybe because I had just preached the passage, I thought in that moment, here's my opportunity to declare what that passage actually meant. If you've ever been in that moment where you think you've got the right answer, it doesn't normally go well, does it? Right? And so I remember debating this particular family member, and the more that we talked about the passage, the more it just got heated. And the more it got heated, the more I got stressed. The more I got stressed, the more angry I got. The more angry I got, the more bitter I got, to the point that finally I was done with the conversation, and I had to walk away. Ever been in a moment like that, where it just feels like, man, why are you not listening? Just feels like you're being opposed In whatever way shape or form have you ever realized that that might be a verbal opposition but your whole body experiences it doesn't it you see in that moment I was feeling this opposition I was sensing the the opposition between us but then I was also experiencing a mental opposition How dare he think that way of me? How dare he say that about me? Who does he think he is compared to me? You see, opposition is not always just a one-sided or one-faceted feature in our life, but rather it, it comes at us from all angles. And from my experience, it often comes from those who are close and dear to us. And this morning, Paul's going to talk about opposition. But he's actually going to show us a deeper opposition that I think is here, church, and I think is just going to grow. You see, I had an opposition with a family member who is in Christ. But the reality of what we're going to see now is that if we want to follow Jesus Christ, the world is going to hate you. There's no middle ground. If you want to follow Jesus with your life and actually allow your life to be shaped and molded by the ways of Jesus rather than the ways of Of the world, there is going to be this tension and there's going to be this conflict and there's going to be this opposition. And we have one of two choices to make. We can either rely upon ourselves and go our way, or we can turn to our Savior and rely upon Him, knowing that the direction that He has actually leads to eternal life. That's the direction I want to go. And that's the direction I hope that you want to go. And what Paul's going to show us is the path forward to follow the way of Jesus in the midst of opposition. And so this morning, Paul's main point is simply going to be this, that God's preservation, or God's complete preservation, conquers all opposition that the way through opposition is to not muster up all of your arguments and kind of shoot them like you're in a war, but rather to rest in the preservation of Jesus Christ and to rest in who he is and what he has promised will happen. And so with that, would you stand with me as we read God's word? We stand in order to honor the reading of God's word, that we might have hearts that are humble to receive what he says to us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? ...to be slaughtered. No, in all things... ...we are more... ...than conquerors... ...through Him... ...who loved us. For I'm sure... ...that neither death... ...nor life... ...nor angels, nor rulers... ...nor things present, nor things to come... ...nor powers, nor height, nor depth... ...nor anything else... ...in all creation... ...will be able to separate us... ...from the love of God... In Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, "Praise be to God." You may be seated. So we've been journeying through this letter to the church at Rome in order to understand various aspects or attributes of God. Because as we've seen before, the more we know about God, the more we can actually know about ourselves. It's like fighting a battle without bullets. Doesn't really make sense. And the only way that we can uh, kind of carve out a path and experience the eternal life that Jesus promises is for us to actually know who Jesus is and to know what, who God is. And so we've been kind of looking at these different aspects, if you will, of who God is. And we've noticed that God has a plan from all of eternity, and that plan is to work his gospel, which is the power of God, to salvation, to work that gospel out for you and I. You see, we've got a problem. We all know this, right? I, I've asked this before, and I've, in my eight years here, I've yet to have anyone come up to me and take me up on the challenge. Any, any of you, after the service, want to come here, list out all of the bad things that you've done, and next week we'll put it on the screen, and I'll just read all of them to the rest of us. None of us want that, right? Because we recognize that there's something broken. And yet, if we're not careful, we think that the way out of the hole that we have dug is to take that same shovel and keep digging. And yet, the only way out of that hole is for God to send Jesus Christ down into that hole, strap us to the rope, and carry us out. And that's what we see. We see in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, not when you had your game on, not when you uh, got your act together, not when you had everything just kind of lined up correctly, but when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you understand the beauty of that? It leads Paul to say in Romans 8, 1 that there's no condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't deal with our sin. In fact, there's no greater place to deal with our sin than the cross of Christ. Christ is outing us, and he's asking us to come, but he's saying, I already know that you've sinned. Let's deal with it. There's no condemnation, but we do deal with our sin. And through that, we saw over the last couple of weeks that, that as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and as Jesus has returned to heaven, we're not left alone, but rather we're given an immense power to be able to live this Christian life. And that power is the Holy Spirit of God. And as we live by the Spirit of God, one of the ways that stabilizes us through this life is just this truth that Paul laid out in chapter 8, verses 29 to 30, where he just kind of talked about the order of salvation, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified that no matter what, throughout the whole process, God starts the process of rescuing us and he completes the process of rescuing us. And it's in light of that, that, that Paul kind of pivots on that truth and just hammers it home for us this morning. And so we're going to look at four truths this morning. One, where we just kind of pivot on the salvation of God, and then three realities or applications, if you will, of how we apply that to our lives. Let's look at this truth that Paul pivots on. And that is that God's preservation starts with his salvation. It hinges on the reality that he has saved and the reality that he will cause us to endure if we have faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what our statement of faith says about this. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet, they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. What's that mean? It means that if you have faith in Jesus Christ you will, in fact, persevere until the end. Not because you're awesome, but because God is. It's almost like God is our bodyguard in that moment. It says, okay, anything that might cause this to not persevere, I'm going to protect so that it will last. But I think we have to be careful here, right? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 7... That on that last day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. So there is a way in which we can have a spiritual experience and have no faith in Jesus Christ. But if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we actually endure until the end. And so this morning, Paul is wanting us to just kind of zero in and, and ensure that we do endure by looking at Jesus Christ and looking at him as our only help and our only hope as we saw last week. And notice how Paul does this. Look at verse 31. He starts with a question. He says, what shall we say to these things? Paul is picking up just where he left off in verse 30 to talk about the amazing salvation. And it's almost as if Paul is just amazed. He says, what do we say about this? I remember years ago, uh, I was working with a college ministry and I got to do a training in January in Daytona Beach. The hotel was right on the beach. So I mean. Beautiful, right? It, kind of an amazing scene. And I remember walking out to my balcony, sitting on the balcony, and overlooking the Atlantic Ocean and just sitting there drinking it in. If you've ever done something like that, there's, there's, a, there's something that takes place in that moment, isn't there? It's like this peace and this calm just kind of overwhelms you and, and you begin to just, everything else just kind of washes away. But it takes time, doesn't it? For that to actually happen, it takes time. You know what one of my concerns is? One of my concerns is that we are not amazed by Jesus Christ because we fail to take time. Our hearts are becoming hardened to the ways of Jesus Christ because we're failing to pause and ponder Christ. We're getting so distracted. we're moving from event to event to event to event to event, activity to activity, 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 thinking that that will bring life when all it does is just bring death. John even tells us in First John 2:15, that if you love the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. We can't do both. And so we've got to pull back and we've got to just sit and we've got to just understand the waterfall of grace that Jesus has given and then through that sitting, like, like not sitting for three seconds, but sitting for three minutes. You know, like pushing past that awkwardness of like, I really don't know what to do right now. I've never sat this long without something. Ever pushed past that awkwardness? But just sitting in that And just basking in the grace of God and being amazed by it. That's what Paul's doing. He's just sitting, understanding, basking in the grace of God. And notice what he basks in. He asks another question. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He is just amazed. That the God of the universe is for him. There's nobody else that you should want to be in your corner than Jesus Christ. Than God the Father. Than the Holy Spirit working in your life. But how do we know this? Well, Paul shows us in verse 32. Notice what he says. He, speaking about God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul says the way that you can know that God is on your side is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Just go back to the cross, go to the foot of the cross and say, I need you. I can't do it. I'm laying down my sin, I'm laying down my reliance, I'm laying down my efforts, I'm laying it all down so that you can take it. And then realize that that it is on the cross that Christ took our condemnation, it is on the cross that he took the wrath of God, that he took the sin that we have committed in the past and that we will commit in the future, and he took all of it, And then he didn't just die, but he rose from the dead, conquering it, giving you and I victory over it. And Paul says the way in which we know that God is for us is that we just look at the cross, that he didn't spare his own son. I love you. I don't know if I would give my kid for you. And God says... I gave my son for you. There's no greater way than to know that God is for us. But what does that mean for us? It means that we have got to be careful that we are not looking for salvation outside of Jesus Christ, that we're not looking for some sort of rescue outside of Jesus, maybe to a boyfriend or a girlfriend to a spouse, to your kids. One of my fears, church, one of my fears is that we are trying to relive our childhood through our children. And if we're not careful, we're going to be like a man. The story goes that this man put a ladder up on the wall Very tall ladder, very tall wall. And he worked hard to climb up to the top of that ladder. Do you know what he realized when he got to the top? He put the ladder against the wrong wall. My fear is that if we're not careful, we want to vicariously live through our children and we are building our lives around them and not around the Lord. And when we get to the top and we give an account to the Lord for our lives, my my fear is that we're, we're going to be sorrowful because I can guarantee you when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to say, I wish I would have put my kid in another sport. My guess is you're going to say, I wish I would have talked to my child more about Jesus. That only happens when we're secure in the reality that we're accepted through Jesus Christ. I don't need anything else to accept me. Jesus, the only one whose voice matters on the subject, has already called me and said, you're forgiven, you're approved, you're accepted. And think about that. When we actually understand that, that frees us to love other people, doesn't it? It frees us to love our kids, It frees us to love our spouse. It frees us to love our boyfriend or our girlfriend or or our coworkers. It frees us to, to love other people. But my fear is that we all have this person in our life that we're longing for that acceptance. Anybody watch Superman growing up? Right? There's a thing called kryptonite, right? Didn't matter how much power he had, Kryptonite had the ability to break through all of that power. And I wonder who is the kryptonite in your life? That no matter what happens, you're following Jesus, but the moment that person comes, whoop, they take the precedence over Jesus. And Paul just says, let's just stop and remember the gospel. Because if we can remember the gospel, that gives us a foundation to actually fight. And that matters because the more we live for Jesus in this world, the more it's going to be a fight to follow him. And Paul shows us three realms that that fight is going to take place in. So let's look at the first realm, which is our second point. That God's preservation extends to the mental realm. It extends to our minds. I know right now there's a lot of talk uh, in our culture, and I want to be generous, I want to be gracious. There's a lot of talk for anxiety, depression, all sorts of uh, things that go on in our minds and our bodies. And there's a reality that there is, there is, and there are chemical imbalances that we need to seek professional help for. But let me tell you, let's not buy the cultural lie hook, line, and singer, because I don't think that's the only narrative. Because the Bible would say that there's another narrative. It's your sin and it's Satan fighting against us. Man, if you've got chemical imbalances, get help. But realize that's not the only help you need. You need the reality of Jesus Christ working. Because notice what Paul says next. Who shall bring... Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Notice, where do those things take place? In our minds, right? Both of those statements are wrestles that take place in our minds. We feel this charge against us. I mean, we we live in a social media saturated world, right? We live in cancel culture. I mean, anything you do can be canceled. And Paul Paul is saying there there are these questions that are taking place in our mind, and this is just Satan's tactic, isn't it? Because if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, you'll see man and woman in the garden following God when Satan comes along, and notice what he does. He doesn't tell them to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He asks them a question. Did God really say? Is God really good? John will tell us in John 8, 44 that Satan is the father of lies. And so we've got to realize that that half of our battle is actually a battle where Satan is fighting against our minds, waging war, telling us lies. And notice, did, did you see how that out here? Because go back to verse 33. What's the answer that Paul gives? He says it's God who justifies. God is the one that makes you right. God is the one that declares that you have eternal life. Verse 34, he says Christ Jesus is the one who died. You feel condemned? Christ died for you. And he didn't just die, but he was raised. He wasn't just raised, he's at the right hand of God. And he's not just at the right hand of God, which is the most glorious position in the entire world. He's not just there, he's interceding for you and I. Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is interceding with the Father for you, praying on your behalf, pleading on your behalf. I mean, nothing... If that was true, nothing should be able to stop us. But, church, we need to remember that. Do you know why we gather each week? We gather each week because we forget. We gather each week because the world is telling us a different story. We gather each week to remind ourselves that there is one true story and there's only one person in all of creation that can actually justify you and that is God the Father through Jesus Christ. Nothing else. It's why we sing songs that are focused on Jesus. We don't care about the lights. We don't care about the flash. We just want you to know Jesus because nothing else, nothing else, will stabilize you during trial and difficulty when your mind wages war against you than the truce of Jesus Christ. That's why I want to encourage you, come in. Prepare yourself. Do, do you do that? Do you prepare yourself for our time together? You know how you do that? You think about your Saturday. You think about, what am I doing on Saturday that might make me overly tired where I cannot get the word of God and the bread of life that I need. (laughs) Do you do that? Man, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to get up on a Sunday morning, pray, ask the Lord to prepare your heart that you might receive what he has to say. Might half of our battle in our mind be because we have not prepared ourselves for the battle And we prepare ourselves for the battle by looking to God's word. And by gathering with God's saints to fight back against the lies that we hear. That we might help one another to look to Jesus Christ. So, do you know what this means for us? We need to be a people that are careful with the words that we speak. Man, we, we've got to be a people that are careful that we are not gossiping about one another. Kids, it is so easy to go to school. It's so easy to hang out with friends and to see and hear things that are being said and just to repeat that to the next friend that you have. And adults, we do the same, don't we? And we, we've got to be a people who put that away, who submit that, that we, that we don't, give satan more opportunity or more firepower against one another because our enemy doesn't stop there he keeps fighting and notice the next realm that we need god's preservation and that is in the physical realm that god's preservation extends to the physical realm satan doesn't just stop with a bombardment of in your mind he actually goes to fight against you physically If you've ever heard of or seen the magazine, The Voice of Martyrs, you will hear brothers and sisters all around the world who are beaten, killed, attempted murder on their life, all because they follow Jesus Christ. Church, that should not surprise us. Because that's just the reality of the broken world that we live in. And notice what Paul, how Paul shows us that in verse 35. He says, shall, wh- Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? It's almost like he has this diamond. He keeps shifting it around, moving it, all these ways of physical persecution that might happen in our lives. It, again, we shouldn't be shocked by this because we read this later in Hebrews 11. If you've ever heard of Hebrews 11, you you might have heard, oh, what a great chapter, the hall of faith. You know, Abraham had faith and Enoch had faith and all these people who had faith. But I find that we often don't read the rest of Hebrews 11. Starting in verse 35 on, what we read there is a story of brothers and sisters who were tortured, mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two. There's a lot of ways I'd like to go out. I don't know about if sawing in two is the way I want to go out. Sawn in two, killed with a sword, afflicted, mistreated, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, all because they follow Jesus Christ. I'm concerned in our American Christian culture that if we're not careful, all we are is we're just simply lulled to sleep because we want to make one another feel comfortable. Man, this idea of comfort is killing our souls. And I'm concerned because what will happen when persecution comes I'm concerned because I wonder how many of us will push the eject button and say if Jesus leads to persecution, I'm out. Even though Jesus' very words say in Matthew 16, 24 that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, not a cute little chain around your neck, but a symbol of death and follow Jesus. Man, it's it's, it's here. It's, it's not new. Look at what Paul says in verse 36. He quotes Psalm 44. He says, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know how many people I, I know, how many pastors I know who have left the ministry because it's too hard and they would rather do something else? It's a sad indictment. On our Christianity, that we have lost sight that, that Satan wants to pummel us. And notice why. Paul, Paul didn't quote that, you're being slaughtered because you're dumb. You know, some of us, like, oh, I'm facing opposition. No, you're just being rude. <laughs> Stop. No, this is opposition for following the Lord. So how do we prepare for that? Because history would say that it's happening. It's it's happening all around the world, and it's going to happen here because there's never been an empire that did not fall. It's just a matter of when. So how do we prepare for that? Well, Paul tells us. Look at verse 37. He says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you get that? That no matter what they do to us, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to conquer for all of eternity. It doesn't matter what happens here. They can destroy the body, but they cannot destroy the soul. And so the way in which we understand that is that we begin to fill our minds with things of eternity rather than things of the world that we put away our phones, we put away our TVs, and we fill our minds with truth of Jesus because he is the only thing that will give us strength through persecution. When believers all around the world have been beaten for the sake of Christ, they're not quoting a Simpsons episode. They're quoting scripture. So let's prepare for it now. Fill our minds with Scripture, with the hope that this life is not all there is, but there is an eternity that is greater, that God is working something more. Hear from a brother hundreds of years before us. There's these two brothers in, in England. They, one was a bishop and one was a priest, an Anglican priest. And as they... Uh, as they were gathered up for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as they were gathered up they were brought out to be burned at the stake for preaching Jesus and one of them, Hugh Latimer notice what he says to Nicholas Ridley he says, be of good cheer Mr. Ridley and play the man We shall see this day by God's grace light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. Do you see the eternal focus? That he knew that my burning body would light a candle that would ignite the country to produce men like Charles Spurgeon or John Owen or Thomas Brooks, or George Whitfield, men who have been stalwarts in the Christian faith to carry this truth to us, is because they said, even in my burning, God can do something greater. Do you feel that, church? Do you see that, and do you know that? The only way is by lifting our eyes to God and to spend time in his word and to commune with God. I mean, I don't fully know what it means to be more than a conqueror. I'm looking forward to what that means. But I know how to prepare. It's to keep looking and seeing Jesus as above all else, above your family, above your job, above everything. Jim Elliot, a, a missionary to the Novos people in South America. Do you know what he said before he left on his trip? Of which he died. And he didn't just die because he was sharing the gospel. He actually had a gun in his hand able to shoot the very people ready to kill him. And he said, no, I'm not going to shoot them because if they kill me, I know I'm going to heaven. But if I kill them, I know they're going to hell. And so he laid that rifle down with his life. And the only way he could do that is because he knew this truth. There is no fool who... You are no fool to lose what you can't keep in order to gain what you can't lose. Church, which one are you trying to keep? The things that you're going to lose? Or are you keeping the things that will last for eternity? And that matters because of the third realm that Paul shows us, which is our fourth point. God's preservation extends to the spiritual realm. Satan is relentless. He does not give up. He does not stop. And yet, Paul says, Christ wins. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. Look at, look at that in verse 38. Paul says, for I am sure Now, if there's ever anybody to be sure, it's the man who has been stoned and left for dead, the man who's been beaten, the man who's been imprisoned for following Jesus. There's nobody else I'd rather learn from than him. You know, there's three kinds of people in the world. Those who are theoretical and talk and have no idea what they're talking about because they've never lived it. Those who are living their life in their own power and when trials happen, they keep going back to their power thinking they can get out of it. And there are those who have been uh, wrestled to submission realizing that they've got nothing to offer. And that they must go to Jesus Christ instead. And that's what Paul's doing here. And that's my hope is that, that that we've been wrestled into submission To follow Jesus. And Paul has this kind of confidence because he is God-reliant and not self-reliant. So much so that he can use this list of opposites to show the work of God. He says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels. Probably talking about demonic beings rather than actual angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or heights or depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Church, do you understand that truth? That if you are in Christ, nothing can stop your eternity. Imagine If we understood that, and if we were released onto the world, we would be the most dangerous people this world has ever known. Because no matter what they try to do to us, we would know that we've got power in the gospel, and we would take it to others. Man, how sweet is that? That there's nothing that can separate us. From the love of God, there's nothing that can stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so we need to lay ourselves down, lay our efforts down, and run back to the foot of the cross. It's at the cross that Christ calls us to something greater, to get off of the sidelines and actually into the game where we have the ability to see God change and transform lives so that we actually would be bold for the sake of Jesus Christ. Man, how I wish that we would be a people like how William Carey described the 1800s missionary from England. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. Do you get that? He he said, expect great things. He did not preserve his own son, but gave himself up for us all. How will he not give us all things? Expect great things. And as a result, we can attempt great things for the kingdom of God. Or might we be like Jan Hus? the 15th century Czech theologian who translated the Bible into the local language. And as he did so, he was arrested and he was killed. And right before he was killed, his eyes were so lifted to eternity, he believed so much that God was working and would work, he was able to say this. And here's what matters. hus in Czech means goose. Notice what he says. He says, today you are burning a goose. However, a hundred years from now, you will be able to hear a swan sing. You will not burn it. You will have to listen to him. Do you know who that was? Sitting in a church named after him. Jan Hus said that a hundred years before Martin Luther came, or Martin Luther, not King, sorry, Martin Luther came on the scene and rediscovered that the gospel is one of grace through Jesus Christ alone and that it is the power of God to save. And as Jan Hus was being Killed for his faith. He lifted his eyes and he said, I know the truths of Jesus. I know what I've translated. I know what I've read. I know what I've studied. I know the fact that you gave me your son, so you're going to give me all things. I know the fact that you're playing a longer game than I am, so I'm going to lift my eyes to eternity. I'm going to trust that you're going to use this moment for your glory. And now all of us are sitting here because that man did not give up, because that man trusted that God had the power to preserve through all opposition. Do you get that, church? It doesn't matter what's coming for you. Even if it means death. That is a glorious death because when we are around the throne of God we will see just as Isaiah said woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We will see the glory of God and we will say it was all worth it. So my question is as we look at the reality of the love of God, what or what or who are you depending and building your life upon in the midst of opposition? Are you trusting in your own efforts? I've got this. Or are you just getting down on your knees? And recognizing that you've got nothing. He's got it. And that's the only way I can get through the day is because He's got it, not me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a glorious truth. There is nothing that we can offer. There is nothing that we can do. There is no scheme that we can can put together that can fight against the opposition that we might feel or that we might face. And the only thing that we have is your son and your promise that since you gave your son, you will give us more. Father, I... No, in my own life, I run to other things. There are things I buy. There are things I watch. There are things I eat. There are things I believe. All as ways to build a foundation for me to stand upon other than you. And I just pray that you would remove that from me. And that you'd remove that from us and that we would be a Christ-dependent people, rejoicing because there's nothing that can separate us from your love. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.